Well, welcome again, everyone. Um, just so uh, today, I just felt so that need to want to get back to the cross. Uh, and today we're, we're going to look at Daniel. Uh, and specifically, we're going to look at Daniel 3, uh, verses 16 to 18. Um, and then we're kind of going to do an exposition on them. Uh, and I want I want us to understand um, the, the two verses here that are often attributed to many different applications. And so uh, today's message uh, is called Unconditional Faith. And it's Daniel 3, verses 16 to 18. Um, when we look at this, uh, these verses, and particularly just this whole section, uh, some say what happens here is about a, a worship. Some say it's about trust. And it is those those things. But I think we also see here is a, is a theme that struck through the very heart of what it is to be unconditionally faithful. We we so often talk about the perfect love that Jesus gave and showed us by dying on a cross. But we must consider our part in what it means for us to persevere in living to God unconditionally. How do we express our love and trust and faith in God as we are called to do as Christians? Jesus has done his part. He has provided the ways and the means by which we can come to him and it's great to honour and worship that but we don't stop there as Christians we are called to serve a holy awesome God who loves who loves and gives his gave his son so that we may live and live to honour him that's what we're doing here as Christians and so as we go forward these messages um, I, I felt just the Holy Spirit I think and just things that God has shown me that we need to focus on building Christians up in the word. How do we equip and get them ready and keep them ready all the time for what is uh, everyday life. To get them out there so they're living through the word and showing a light to the community in their workplace wherever they are. So let's look at Daniel 3 uh, verse 16 to 18 uh, and it says this. Uh, and there's some, uh, I love when it comes to having to say some words that are not straightforward. Uh, Shadrach, Meshach, Meshach and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. Uh, just to fill you in there, what's happening here is that the king has said you must bow down to my, my God, my image of gold, as it says, uh, and you must worship my God, you must worship the God. Uh, this false god as we would know it here and then it goes on to say if we are thrown into the blazing furnace the god we serve is able to deliver us from it and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand but even if he does not we want you to know your majesty that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. So just to kind of give us a bit of background on this so we can just understand where, where this is going. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar exiled um, the three men, um, exiled Daniel and the three men, and, and, and they received these high administrative positions uh, within his kingdom. Uh, and Nebuchadnezzar erected this gold monument, uh, summoned his officials uh, for a dedication ceremony and decreed 
that they must worship the image. Uh, his dedication ceremony uh, was was more about pledging allegiance to Babylon, although they're worshipping this god, but uh, he's trying to get people to pledge allegiance to Babylon. Um, so Shadrach, Mesach and Abednego, ha however, bowing to anyone besides God, even if it's just for political show, was not honouring the one true God. So when they're called to uh, honour this God, as it were, this image, um, they, of course, remember, as we'll see, what God said before. And there is a line, there is a limit by which they will um, worship or, or, or even consider uh, when, it go, when it comes to God, when it comes to going against him, there are lines, that are barriers that are absolutely no. I will worship my God and this will not be the thing that, that tears me down. And, and so, and I'll go into that, how they kind of, how they knew that, but what they did, they absolutely refused to do so, to, to worship this image uh, that had been set up with the consequences that they were drawn before the king and had to give an account of themselves. And they still refused, even in the presence uh, of this terrible king, with absolute power of life and death. And he was one of the most, it's considered one of the most terrible kings who had ever lived. But uh, you remember, as we'll see uh, in Jeremiah, that God actually uh, put this king in place because his people would not be obedient to him, that they were straying away. And so uh, there's this... There's this tension between the fact that God has put this king in place, but for the reason that his people, his people's response was that they would not honour him. And so we're going to look at a, a bit of that into that tension as well. And so let's go through this verse by verse and really understand uh, what we can learn from persevering in unconditional love for God. That's our love for God as people of who believe in Jesus, who believe in God that we should seek an unconditional faith, an unconditional love for him. And we'll say, of course, we'll uh, condition this, so this is not about being perfect, but uh, whatever our within our hearts and our spirit, what we're seeking is to say, we're not looking for, I'll, I'll, I'll worship God, I'll follow him, except if he asks me to do this. And clearly, you can already see this example is going to be uh, relevant to this subject. So these three verses alone are absolutely layered with real insight into how the faith of these men uh, manifested itself. So let's start with verse 16. Uh, as the three men stated, uh, they say this. They say, uh, Shadrach, Mesach and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. The three men as they will now be referred to, uh, unless I need to say the names again, but the three men um, stood in front of the king and told him that they do not need to justify their determination to not serve the king's gods, to not honour the image of gold that he had set up. And when we look at this first response from the three men, what we see is a test of justification. Um, what they are saying to the king is we, we don't need to justify our actions to you or to your God. We have our own God who, who judges and justifies, who determines uh, what happens to us. And so there is no way that we're going to even entertain the notion of, um, of defending ourselves before a God we don't believe in, before an image, a craven image that we don't believe in. 
Now, when I say here that they're not using their faith as a guise to simply be disobedient to the rule of the king. Uh, as I said, after all, Nebuchadnezzar ruled over uh, God's people as Jeremiah had warned them would happen if they didn't stop going against God. And so there is this, this tension here. And also we accept, actually, as Christians, as, as the Bible says, that God allows for government to rule over land, um, over the land, and that God tells us as Christians to submit to those governing authorities. Let's just get that context. Romans 13 verses 1 to 5 uh, says this. It says, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Uh, consequently, whoever rebels against the authorities, rebelling against the God, what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. Uh, for rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. Now, I just want to say this because there's, there's all, I just need to kind of condition this a little bit in this sense, um, because this is kind of relevant to what we're seeing around us in the world of uh, potentially a protest against government of things. Now, listen, this has got nothing to do with that. Um, just before anyone links anything to anything. I'm talking about this message, the word of God. I'm talking about what's happening here in regards to this context. Uh, and we pray for all the things that are going on in terms of the oppression and the wrongdoing uh, on people as Jesus takes us to, leads us to, to protect and to pray for and to stand up for. Now, I, I don't say anything else apart from that. As Christians, we are to pray for what God has the will to do or, or is, is, is going to do. And, and strangely, we're going to learn that in this today. OK, that said. That authority comes from God alone. And that's what these this this passage is is definitely most certainly about, which is. God gives authority to the people that he puts in charge. He's even given authority to Nebuchadnezzar to do what he's doing. He's allowed that to happen and he warned that would happen. In this case, the king is worshipping a God that is not God. He also asked the, the very godly men to follow the same small God, small g, God. So we what we see is a right response from these three men because above all else, idolatry is not tolerated when it comes to worship of other gods. Uh, that statement, uh, the, those verses, do not uh, absolve governments uh, in terms of when they're not following God, when they're going against God, uh, then that doesn't, this doesn't cover them regardless. I hope that makes sense to you. But let's see this sense of where the line is, because this is what these men are doing. Uh, let's look at Exodus 20. Uh, verses four to five and it says you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below 
Uh, you shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. So when we look at the king uh, asking the men to justify themselves, there is none to be given to the king because it's simply not to be entertained in the life of a believer. One of the core um, functions that, that in our heart in, in terms of serving God as a Christian is that we shall not have uh, any other God in our lives. And it's not to say that we don't deal with small idols, as it were, uh, in, in everyday lives that distract us from the day to day walk with God. But we're not to allow those distractions to become golden calves, false idols in our lives that um, I do this because it honours God. And, and they kind of tried to justify that when they had the golden calf, that they would have this this goal, this image, and they would use that to celebrate uh, and, and glorify the Lord. And actually, it was all just kind of messed up. It got, it was allowed to go out of control. Um, and, and this is where we must draw the line as Christians. Where, at what point are the other things that I do in my life becoming the golden calf, the thing actually that is replacing uh, God in that position? And so we see that just as God's people did when they grew impatient for Moses to return from the mountain. They come up with this crazy idea that was allowed to, to happen. Uh, and then we know the story from there. God gets angry. Uh, Moses says, don't get angry, God. Because it shows you, you let him out of Egypt. And then when Moses go down, Moses gets just uh, gets angry as God got angry. And then he, he does, he, he calls all sorts of um, writing, correcting of God's people. Read it, though, because it's amazing to see the contrast between what God says when he says, I'm, I'm angry with these people. And this is Moses. Says, no, 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 no. And then Moses go down and he gets anyway, he gets angry as well. So, so just look at that, because it's kind of a, a really good play there. What happens uh, between God and Moses and his reaction. But what we see next is another statement from the men about faith in the God they have. Uh, verse 17 says this. It says, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. What is really important is that we must understand this verse in order to understand the next one. Uh, this verse and the next are about the, the sovereignty of God and how we unconditionally trust in God. The important emphasis in this verse is a God who is able this term is, I think, is thrown around a lot in our churches, amongst Christians, um, and it's true. And it's all over the Bible, by the way. There's, there's references to God being able, God being able. If God is able, if God is able, God is able. But I worry sometimes that we, we misunderstand it. When it's used in the Bible, I believe it speaks so much more of the understanding of God's sovereignty than just a, uh, a word of encouragement, or even that actually it means that God will do that. It merely describes the power that God has and the authority that he has. What it doesn't say and what it doesn't mean is that he will do the things that we're asking him or even telling him to do because it's God's will, not ours. hope that makes sense. It's not just the, it doesn't actually mean that God will do what we're asking because actually it may not be for that time and as Christians, 
We need to push more into the sovereignty of God, that he has the right will and the right plan, and that what we pray for might not happen now in this life, but may happen when we come to join him. But the dictionary, when we look at this, just, just to understand this a bit more, um, and the meaning of the word able, is this. It says to have the necessary physical strength, mental power, skill, time, money, which is just a dictionary uh, definition, or opportunity to do something. The meaning is to possess the ability to do something, but maybe not to actually do it. And this is where we sometimes maybe get confused as Christians that God can do all these things. And maybe sometimes we think that God will do all those things because he can he can do all those things. Actually, the sovereignty, when we believe in the sovereignty of God, what we say is we hand control to God and we say, Lord, we pray for healing. We pray for things to happen. But if it's not in your will, then I'll still worship you. I'll still acknowledge that you are my Lord and Saviour. So when we look at the Bible, we see this appear a few times. But let's just take one particular example uh, in here. Uh, and it's uh, Ephesians 3 verse 20 to 21. Uh, and it says this. Now to him who is able able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever amen this verse in Ephesians can take on a whole new meaning when we look at the word able for what it really means Paul states that God is able to do more than we could possibly ask or think God is able, but it's not for us, it's not for me to determine the application of that ability. You see, and you'll, you'll see this in the next verse in our reading. But Paul here submits himself to the sovereignty and the glory of God above all else. He finishes in just that little section there, to him be glory in the church in Christ Jesus for all generations forever and ever. Amen. He says he is able but ultimately, it is about the glory of God. And this sense from Paul that God can do above and beyond uh, is depicted here by the three men in this verse. They say that God is able. And if he does, he will not only deliver us from the fire, but also from the king's hand. Uh, and one of the, the Hebrew translations of the term delivering from his hand means to deliver from his power. And so we already get this sense here that what Paul saying links to what we're, we're reading here in Daniel in that God does abundantly more than what we ask. God is always working in, in the bigger picture, in the wider scope of his plan than we could ever know or imagine. So we might say, God, will you heal this elbow? But actually what he then does is he's not only healing, but he's doing something more inside. He's, he's, he's doing something to free that person from the from the chains of uh, of pain and uh, and what that all connects to when we're we're just kind of beaten down. It's not only about the physical healing, but actually what that leads to is this spiritual release that we can be finally uh, recognised that we are free in Christ as believers. And so, what the men state here is that there is no power uh, above uh, the God that can thwart His purposes. And we see this here, Ephesians uh, one. Verse 19 to 23, it says this. Um, 
that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every name that is evoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is, is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So what we see just in this statement in verse 17, linking back to this sense uh, that God has this power that when we ask for things to be done, God is doing something greater than we could ever expect. Even if we see something, there's still something more going on uh, than what we can see with our eyes. And so what we see in this statement in, in our verses, in, in verse 17 of Daniel, is that if anyone is delivered, it's not simply to be delivered from the moment, but that God works in the bigger purpose, in his unlimited power, uh, to which he is able to do, because he is able. What the men are showing is that they are not focused on the bodily death, but the unrelenting pursuit of worshipping the one true God in the face of death itself. 1 Corinthians uh, 15 verses 54 to 57 says this, When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with the, immort with the immortality, uh, then the saying that is written will come true, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of, of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us victory for our Lord Jesus Christ. That is the expression of the sovereignty of God. For those in Christ Jesus, we have victory over death through Jesus. And this is what the men are expressing. They're expressing this sense that there is no victory in death, as it were, that death has no victory over me as I'm a, a believer and following in, in God. As I give my life to him, I no longer need to fear what death brings because death will no longer hold me, you, Christians whoever believes in Christ Jesus. And we see this, this message being carried through. We see it in Daniel and then we see the connection through to Jesus, through to the, the New Testament and what, what's going on there. And so this is an expression of the sovereignty of God. And so this leads us nicely into the next verse, I think. Now, the three men have stated that even though God is able to deliver them, it wouldn't change anything, even if they were not to be uh, delivered from the fire. <clears throat> verse 18 says this but even if he does not we want you to know your majesty that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up <clears throat> some water there okay this is somewhat of a curious statement as well because i've probably read this a few times it's a great account to read of what goes on here but it's a curious statement because if you read it carefully it says even if god does not save them from the fire the men will still not worship the false god or false image of gold now i suppose we can make some assumptions here and, and this is kind of where i'm uh, I'll just tell you that it is an assumption based on what i can read and what comes next as well we're we're trying to put stuff together and say well what's 
what's happening in that moment what what is the what what's the point of that statement even and, and why is that then the king responding the way he does um but it, it certainly is in regard to the reaction of the king after this and we'll see that uh, the first assumption is that men seem to know that it might just be a threat <clears throat> Um, because when you read it, it says, we'll not serve your God. So even if he does not save us, God doesn't save us. We want you to know that we still won't worship that God or that image. So there is maybe a sense here that's just a threat for the assumption that it is that it, even if they're, they're not rescued, they still won't worship idols afterwards. Maybe they won't die. Maybe they'd be harmed, um, physically harmed, severely physically harmed. And the second assumption we can make is they're talking about who they would worship after the physical death. They could be talking about that too, in that even when they die, they're still not going to be angry against God or, or sense an injustice or anything. They say, well, I'm still I'm going to worship our one true, true Lord. Um, but in this sense, it doesn't really hold because uh, they speak of a material uh, worship, a physical worship in the physical image of gold. It says, worship the image of gold you, you have set up. So let's go with this first assumption that what they're doing is uh, they sense that what's more important to Nebuchadnezzar is that they worship this image, this false god. He actually wants them to change from completely reject their god. And there's a kind of sick, you know, twisted nature of Nebuchadnezzar that you can see in this here that he's, he's, he wants them ultimately to worship the idols that he set up. And, he, uh, and for him, that's probably more important and killing them uh, before this was uh, before they said anything um and so it does appear to to be a, a more of a threat than to hurt them and he kind of desires he does desire people to worship this god of his but the statement it so angers the king that his attitude it says as as you read on changes toward them and orders the furnace to be heated seven times hotter and for them to be thrown in now, what, what we know is that when you read on, I haven't put the verses in, but when you read on, what it says is the soldiers bound up the three men and they take them to the furnace. And as they get too close to the furnace, the soldiers burn up. They, they die. Um, and he says, hold on, didn't I have soldiers taking them in and say, yes, you know, but they're dead because it's too hot. And yet these men who the, the three men are still there. And what you see is a Nebuchadnezzar saying, in the fire, he can see four men and many people, many people, many scholars um, believe that this to be the um, the fourth person to be Jesus. Yeah, I, I can accept that too. Maybe an angel. At the end of the day, I think, I think God is in there and I think that's what he's seeing. And he says the sons of God and I think maybe he, in his interpretation, the way he sees things, um, that he obviously states it incorrectly, but actually I think Jesus is there. I believe Jesus is with them and protecting them from the fire. But anyway, <clears throat> we see this response that actually is so angry with that statement that we, we won't, even if you hurt us to the point of death, we still won't, won't serve your God. And so what, what shall we learn from this about unconditional faith in God? Unconditional faith is not about our struggle from day to day uh, with the slings and arrows of having a faith in God. In this particular context, unconditional faith uh, is not just about the slings and arrows. Unconditional faith in God speaks rather to the very core of what we know 
and believed to be true of God and the word of God. The three men were not doing this out of some sort of self-determination of ignorance and belligerence. Rather, they were challenged and threatened to relinquish their God for a lesser one, uh, to let go of their faith for a fake faith, for a fake idol, a fake God, a God that is nowhere near or is not powerful uh, in regards to God himself. <clears throat> not only that, but order to forego everything they had come to understand and know about the one true God, so as to live a life that no longer honoured the one true God. Um, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 6 to 10 says this, Therefore we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and we prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please him whether we are at home in the body or away from it. See, our goal to please him, that's really important in context of, of the verses in Daniel. Their goal is to please him regardless whether they're in the body or whether they're away from it. So we carry on. And it says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. <coughs> when we place our faith and trust in Christ alone for our salvation, God takes our sin and places it on the cross of Christ and awards us by grace with the perfect righteousness of Christ. He clothes us, not that we are righteous and perfect, but we are clothed in Jesus' perfection in his righteousness and surely to give God our unconditional love of unconditional faith in him is not much to ask in comparison to when we see what Christ gave in common grace yes but ultimately what he gave to those that would believe in the form of righteousness in the form of righteousness of Christ when we really compare the two when we think about the things that we we do compromise on in our faith, in our walk with God, because we can't let go of certain things. When we think of Jesus, that is meant to provoke us into, into knowing that those things are insignificant in comparison to what Christ has done. Even our determination to live unconditionally to God is in, is not, does not compare to the sacrifice of Jesus. So, it really should challenge at the very heart of where we compromise on our walk with God. I'm not talking about compromising in certain things, political things or whatever you want to talk about. I'm saying our faith in God where we compromise it because we can't let go of other things that do not necessarily honour our Lord and Saviour. The message in the verses of Daniel can easily represent the testing of our faith from day to day. Will you go to the fire? Will you go to death for what you believe? I've often said before in, in <clears throat> sermons, I've said, what if Jesus turned up today and said, uh, will you come with me? It's a challenge, isn't it? Because we do, we, we do ultimately like the things we have. We, we have things, I'm not saying for a minute that we sell everything and, and let go of everything, but um, actually when Jesus calls for it, are we quite willing to say above all else it's to serve jesus things are just things 
I can let them go if Jesus, when Jesus comes and returns, I'm going with him. Treasures are in heaven, not in the world. But when we really look at it, we need to take a step back and ask ourselves as Christians and as those who we, as those to those we profess our faith to, do we unconditionally believe in our Lord and Saviour? Because that's what we're saying when we go out. We're saying to people we believe unconditionally. But really when it comes down to it, do we act and behave in our personal walk with God in that way? And that's the challenge of Daniel, I believe, in this uh, for us today. And when it comes down to it, you know, do we, do will we give everything up or, or will we? Really, when it really comes to the crunch, does our faith have the same principle as the famous meatloaf song? I'll do anything for love, but I won't do that. It's, it's a crude example because of what, what the song has within it and the words. But I, I, and I, but I think the principle is right. It's a crude example, but if we're not persevering in submitting ourselves every day to God unconditionally, then aren't we just being as crude to God? Aren't we just saying... I'll do anything for Jesus, but you know, I won't, I'm not going to do that though. I'm not going to go this far. And, you know, that doesn't mean a fire, you know, facing a fire, facing people wanting to kill you for your faith as many Christians face in, in many countries, but it, it can be smaller things that slowly eat away at our foundation of faith that try to eat away at the foundations that we have. That we've uh, that we've trusted in the law and say, well, does, does he really ask you to do that? Should you really need to do that? And by this, I mean that we are uh, we are not working for our salvation. I want to make that clear. We're not doing anything here to to then go the other way and work for our salvation, but actually, rather, we work out our salvation. We need to understand, which is what I began with uh, today in the service talking about coming back to understanding the word of God really get into grips of what it means to be a Christian in the hope that not just Christians but people who are exploring the faith will know what they are submitting their life to because all this is amazing Jesus gave his life died on the cross for us to be risen with him but only if we trust in him only if we believe with our whole heart, our whole soul, that he is uh, our root of salvation. And so I want to I show you this verse here, Philippians 2, uh, verses 12 to 18. It says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. You know, it's the men. Remember, we're talking about the men. They didn't grumble or argue. They were, they, they just did what they needed to do to honour their Lord and Saviour. Extreme example, but the principle is right. So that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life, and then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labour in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad 
and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. I love this, this, these verses because <clears throat> it really defines even us today in, in, in the sense of where Christians are, where we were before we came to Christ, that there, there is a, a, a warped and crooked generation. <clears throat> but, but we must hold firmly to the word, not, not in the principle of political motive, but in the principle of holding to the word that is true and saves. The word that brings life to death. The word that brings light to darkness. And so we are encouraged to come and to boast when we worship, when we read, when we enjoy, when we get into the word of God and try to imprint it on our, on our lives, to try to carry out the very thing that it tells us to do. We want to boast on that day, don't we? That we did as much as we could. We did as much as we could to follow God's word. And so today we look at these free men in this way. What they showed is that their belief and trust in God was so much that whatever the physical outcome, they would remain true because God is greater and his love for them abounds even more. They saw past the bodily, they saw past the worldly, the earthly, and they saw the kingdom. And they saw and they knew this is our goal. We want to, whatever it costs, I'm going to be with my God. I'm going to do and serve my God. So we must pursue God. We must pursue God. Lose sight of the physical and worldly treasure as our goal. Instead, even if we are poured out to this extreme, let our rejoicing and gladness be a testament to a holy, gracious God who sent his son to die to make a way for salvation for people that were totally undeserving. <clears throat> Christians should know and always remember that we were undeserving of that gift of life so that when we have an opportunity to speak into someone's life, that it's not full of uh, high-level Christianese and condemnation, actually was saying, but in Christ Jesus, if you believe in him, there is no more condemnation. Death has no victory over you anymore. So we must pursue him. I know what you're going to say. And you're going to say, well, God is already with us. He's the one who found us. Yes, but in our faith, we're pursuing what he wants for us. We're, we're, we're increasing. We're, we're getting better and we're training for the day that we will be with him. For when that day comes, if you believe in Christ that died on the cross for sin and rose again, that repentance is absolutely an essential part for salvation, then we will be able to boast on that day that all this life was not in vain, but was to live to the glory of God. I'm going to leave you with a verse here and then we're going to, I'm going to pray and I'm going to go into our final worship song. Uh, it's Psalm 96 verse uh, 4 to 9 <clears throat> and it goes like this for great is the lord and most worthy of praise he is to be feared above all gods for all the gods of the nations and our idols but the lord made the heavens splendor and majesty are before him strength and glory are in his sanctuary 
Ascribe to the Lord, all you families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due to his name. Bring an offering and come into the courts. Worship the Lord in the splendour of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. I, I love that. It, it just, for me, just tells me that the Lord is in charge. That he has authority over all things. And as Christians... Here we must learn that whatever the outcome of things and whatever the outcome of different aspects of our life, lives, we're going to need to push into the sovereignty of God and seek that unconditional following of him. He gave his son to die on a cross so that we may have a new life. Christians, brothers and sisters, we must now seek the unconditional love, the unconditional faith that we are called to. So we can serve God whilst we're still here. That we will, our goal will be to please him, whether in life or death. And I hope we can do that. I hope we can push into that as we go forward. Uh, I'm going to pray and then we're going to worship for one last time here. Lord. Yeah, that's good. Lord, the, for great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. Lord, oh, just thinking now how that is so relevant to our uh, verse in Daniel, just, just speaking, of, just in that verse alone. Um, Lord, yes, the fear of God. Oh, you are awesome. You are powerful. You are indeed, we are to tremble in the presence of God. We are to know the awesome power of our Lord and Saviour who invites us, who invites us, who doesn't need sacrifice in, in burning of things and uh, any more that Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. But Lord, in that we just, we want to get that sense of, of trembling. We want to get that sense of awe that we are in the presence of a holy God. That he is to be feared above all gods. And Lord, we just want to ask today, Lord, for that heart of seeking the unconditional, no exceptions faith, Lord, that we want in you. We want to seek that, Lord, but we ask in your Holy Spirit to not, that we don't do that in our own strength, but we seek through the power of the Holy Spirit for us to be corrected when we need to be corrected, to grow, to learn and to come closer to understanding our Lord and Saviour. We want the Holy Spirit, Lord, to come and bring us an understanding of the awesome power of our Lord. And so, Lord, we thank you today that we can come and just read the word, revel in its, in its power, in its revelation. Lord, we thank you that we even get to read this. We even get to uh, speak it to others, that we get to speak it to each other. The holy word of God that we get to say to one another. Oh Lord, may you give us confidence and boldness. Firstly and foremost in our faith that we can push, give everything to you, Lord. That we can give everything to our Lord and Saviour. Uh, and Lord, help us to stay away from the idolatry of things that they're so 
built up in our lives that they become the new gods. Oh Lord, pray today for me and, and all of us, Lord, that we will not uh, we will not fall to the trap of the enemy telling us of these things that are just okay and that's fine. God will, yeah, let's just seek the word. Lord, I pray that we will go back to your Bible, not our own assumptions, but your word and read into it, Lord, and really understand what you have for us through your Holy Spirit and through what you have for us during this time on earth and what we are going to be going to after we leave. Lord, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for your church. We thank you for this community that is around us, Lord, that we really are ready, want to be ready to get back and connect with the people around us. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity that you have given us, that you've allowed us to be here. And we thank you for your son who died on the cross and rose again. We thank you, Lord, for all these things. Amen.